We are in Matthew chapter 7. We're almost done with the Sermon on the Mount. Two more studies, including this one. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27 this morning. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, <clears throat> the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. I was thinking about this, and I remember that years ago we looked at the property that's immediately west of the YMCA, right there on the north side of Grangeville. Most of you have been around for a while, you know, there used to be a pretty nice house uh, on that. Turns, uh, the property's kind of a weird pie shape, triangle shape. It's not big enough to, to build a church on anyway. But <clears throat> there, we thought maybe we'd buy it, use the house for an office. And it was a pretty big, nice house. Had a shop that we thought could be maybe converted. Uh, the owner eventually abandoned it. Uh, and it was for sale and then vacant for a long time. And I'd stop by there every now and then. And it looked like hobos were living in there. It was, it was It's interesting. It's a whole other story. But it was a really nice house. And then, of course, once, you know, it's not lived in there there were homeless people living there they were building fires in like the living room and stuff you know it's pretty crazy and they finally tore it down uh the land eventually sold and uh i remember i can't remember who's telling me this story but it was a, a solid source and the buyers had plans to put a storage facility there like the one that's next to it now mini storage only a smaller one uh, and so they bought the property, uh, and when they got into the permit process, <clears throat> they discovered that there used to be a slough running through that property. And uh, years and years ago, they would just dump stuff in that slough and then cover it with dirt, and it was never properly compacted. And so the whoever does these things, the building department, I guess, just said, you're not going to build anything on this property <laughs> because it's you know, you'd have to... Uh, dredge or you know uncover that slough and take everything out and Jimmy Hoffa once you came across Jimmy Hoffa then then it'd have to be recompacted and so that property became worthless to the new owner because they hadn't checked the uh, state of the soil as it were and so Jesus here uses soil problems to end his sermon the Sermon on the Mount I'm told that in the Holy Land all of the sandy soil will become hard during the drier months. It just hardens because there's no moisture. Uh, And it appears just as solid as bedrock. And then the storms will come and reveal which soil is really just hardened sand and which is bedrock. Uh, And so, you know, if you're, you'd have to be pretty familiar with the land uh, in order to know which land was uh, safe to build on and which wasn't because they didn't really have soil compaction testing and things like that in those days. I remember when we bought our property uh, up on Fargo, we did like a little pre-test kind of a thing with an outfit called Kleinfelder who comes out and they, they just do a record search and make sure that no one was dumping oil on your property in the mid-50s or something like that, you know, so that you don't want to have toxic waste or kangaroo rats or you know anything like that and so so we were as smart as we could be without spending thousands of dollars and so far so good and so this soil problem uh is something that jesus listeners would have been 
familiar with. Now, he was and he still is through the Sermon on the Mount addressing disciples. And so this last closing parable is not really an evangelistic invitation. It's a call to discipleship and to discipline. Uh, And here it's a warning, of course, to build on bedrock because of the consequences of not doing so. And so the first thing I notice about the builders in this little parable is that they both used the same materials, as it were. And I think we could go so far as to say they both built skillfully. If you stay in the parable, they're built, you know, you really, the only difference is the soil. They're, they're, uh, uh, maybe they even use the same construction company, who knows, you know, but, but they, they all built the same way. It's just that the soil made the big difference. <clears throat> in the parable, it is the sayings of Jesus that are uh, the building materials. And by that, the Lord means these principles and precepts in the Sermon on the Mount. They are the summary and the overview, really, of everything Jesus had to say. When we first started our studies in the Sermon on the Mount, I think I drew out this idea that scholars have, which is a good one, that though this is a real sermon, that it was given you know, as the Sermon on the Mount, it's also kind of an outline of everything Jesus would teach wherever he went. Uh, I mean, he said many other things as well, but uh, not unlike someone like Gail Irwin or some of these guys who travel and they have a certain message that they give. Uh, this, is, this is the gist of what Jesus has to say. The, the, this is the kingdom that he has come to bring. This is how we live in that kingdom. And so uh, those are his sayings. One man hears them and does them. The doing of them is what makes his spiritual foundation bedrock. Another man hears them and does not do them. The not doing of them is what renders his his spiritual soil as sand. So that everybody's got the principles and the precepts. They, They all go about building in a sense. But one man does them and finds that he's on bedrock and another does not and finds that he's on sand eventually. Apparently, it's easier than we think to hear God's word and not do it. James said so in this famous passage. You remember James 1, 23 through 25, where he said, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And so in these two areas of scripture and others, you see that it's possible to hear the word of God, uh, to agree with the word of God, uh, and to not do it. And, and I would add to that uh, to think that you are doing it or, or to, to really not analyze whether or not. Because here's a guy, James' comparison is you get up in the morning like I did this morning, you look in the mirror and you think, yeah, I'm, I really am going to have to take a shower. You know, it just, there's no way, uh, you know, I got to shave, have to take a shower. Then you get out, comb your hair, and you say, okay, you know, I'm presentable and stuff. Uh, And and yet James says that's in the natural. He said, indicating that in the spiritual, there are people who look into God's word, see what needs to take place, and then they go away unchanged, not doers of the word. If we are honest, I think we will admit that we do hear the word of God all the time without doing it. We mostly heed the word in what we would call the biggies. We're not stealing, 
not, well, hopefully we're not doing any of these things. We're not stealing or committing adultery or murdering anybody, uh, those kinds of things. When I was in the Roman Catholic Church, they had their mortal sins. And there were seven of them, I think, that if, you know, that if you did those, you couldn't go to heaven. And so you just shied away from those, you know. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, adultery was one for a long time, and then that changed. Uh, in fact, I don't think they have mortal and venial sins anymore at all. But, but there were seven deadly sins. And I mean, once you committed those suicide, you know, that's a famous thing still in the culture. You know, a lot of times you'll see uh, movies or read stories where someone's committed suicide. And, well, that's it. They're, they're, they have to go to hell. There's no hope for them once you commit suicide. And that was a teaching of uh, many traditions, but in the Roman Catholic Church as well. And so most people did do pretty well. Most Christians do pretty well in these big areas. But, for example, when we gossip or listen to gossip, we're not doers of the word. When we're judgmental uh, of others, uh, we're not doers of the word. When we see a need even and fail to meet that need, uh, either through prayer or uh, you know, in some other way, <clears throat> then we're not doers of the word. And so it's just an honest assessment of our life that we're not constantly doers of the word. There are many things that God has to remind us of or that we just quite honestly walk away from. It is, in fact, especially us who are exposed to the word so much and hold it in such high regard that need this warning because you can get the impression that hearing God's word and agreeing with it is the same as doing it. Uh, and, and so you come, you hear the word in your car, at church, uh, in your devotions, and then you get up and you're not really making application of it. Uh, the classic example of this would be having an argument with your wife and children on the way to church. You know? so, I mean, you're on your way to church. Not that it doesn't happen, but uh, you're on your way to church, you're not treating your family correctly, and then you get to church and everybody's happy you know, and stuff. And, and so there's just a million ways that we are... Uh, not doing God's word. Now, Jesus had just given an amazing talk. In the closing verses of this chapter, the hearers are described even as astonished because he is telling you to put into practice everything that you've heard. Everything we've heard in this Sermon on the Mount, he says, now, you need these are my sayings. You need to do them. Don't go away thinking it was something beyond your reach. Jesus says this is just the normal Christian life. And, and that's something... When, especially when we went through the Beatitudes that we tried to draw out, that, that this isn't something unattainable. Jesus says, this is what it means to be a Christian. You look at it and you think, oh, that's what it means to be a Christian. I am able to do these things, or actually I am enabled to do them now that I'm a Christian. Uh, and so I just need to make the, the adjustments. I don't have to go to a seminar. I don't have to have the five points. I have to believe by faith that if the Lord told me that I am to act this way, that I can reckon it to be so and I can act this way. And you could expand it to all the other things we read in the word of God as well. Loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Yeah, am I doing that? Not all the time, but I can do that. I just need to be reminded that I can do that and then I can put that into uh, practice. And so, so Jesus is basically saying, this is his big close. He says, hey, you're, you're, do these things or else you're like this guy who built his house on the sand. And of course, you know, like us, we, you know, we're thinking, man, am I glad I didn't buy that property on Grangeville, that useless piece of property, poor, you know, that poor sucker who bought that, you know, what's he going to do? It's, it's unusable and stuff. And, and that's the exact feeling that these people would have like, oh yeah, I know 
you know, Shlomo bought that property and his house crumbled. You know, I don't want to be that man. And so they would understand that this is something that they can do. It's not, you know, it, it, it's not out of their reach. Now, taking this parable from another angle or, or looking at it uh, with a secondary meaning, it assumes also that storms are going to come in their proper season. The basic value of it is that, hey, you want to build on bedrock and that is the doing of these things that you are enabled to do. But it's also a reminder that storms are coming. The Holy Land uh, is to a considerable extent a land of hills and mountains subject to sudden and violent rains. When I was a kid, I was terrified all the time in Southern California in the high desert, when you, especially on Highway 395, because every seemed like every few feet there was a sign that said subject to flash floods. And I'd ask my dad or I'd say, what's a flash flood? And they'd describe, you know, just all of a sudden, just I got the impression as a kid that out of nowhere, like in a cartoon, <laughs> floodwaters would just come and, and wipe you out. You know, that there was no, no warning, yeah, no rain, no thunder, just, you know, like, and, and so, you know, uh, most of you have been on 395 there, you know, and it goes down these dips and there's these, what we used to call washes, you know, down in Southern California where you just... Oh my gosh, you know, I wonder how many people died here, you know, in flash flooding and stuff. And uh, so it was, it was pretty serious. And so that's the Holy Land, I'm told, is like that. The Jordan uh, would annually swell to a great extent and become rapid and furious in its course. And, and uh, houses that were built near these kinds of pathways would certainly be subject to, you know, flooding and, and that kind of thing, even as many houses today that people build in floodplains and on right at the ocean and you know right where it says hurricane coming here quick build you know and stuff or houses on hillsides and you know it's just amazing to me all the places we build houses that we shouldn't you know really i remember we used to get the house we lived in in san bernardino for a long time was built into a plateau that had been dug away and man when it rained it was terrible the the, uh, I remember one time, I thought my dad was going to shoot this, the neighbor, because there was a house above us, and then there was a slope in front of us, and to protect his slope, this guy ran plastic down, and so all the, it was like a flood coming through our house, you know, and stuff, and so he couldn't get the guy to move it, and so we just moved it. So, uh, <laughs> in fact, I think we took it and used it on ours, you know, so, but anyway, so, you know, flooding, it's a real thing. So what the Lord is reminding us here is that tempests and storms of affliction and persecution are going to beat around our lives. Suddenly, when we think we are in safety, the heavens may be overcast, the storm may lower, and calamity is going to beat upon us. In a moment, as many of us know, health, friends, comforts, all of that may be gone. And so this is a, a, a kind of an, uh, a reason for... If you need a reason, it, it's a reason for building on bedrock, you know, and doing the things that Jesus tells us to do because any minute that flash flood is going to come through and just try and take you away. And so over the years, I've become a big supporter of being ready for the spiritual storms of life. You don't know when they're coming or with what intensity, but you know they are coming uh, sooner or later. I you know, some people, it seems like they go and go and go and they have very few trials or things that you wouldn't really consider a trial. You know, I mean, what they consider a trial, you're like, 
that's like every morning for me, you know, and so, I mean, get a life. But, uh, and then suddenly, without warning, they'll have some huge, huge trial uh, or persecution or affliction. You know, others, they seem to be born to trouble, like Job says, you know, it's just every, you know, this is how I lost my job, my health is failing, this happened, that happened. And so, but, you know, whatever our storm personality is, you know, our storm profile, all of us are going to have these storms come through. So, since we know they're coming, regular fellowship with the Lord and with his people is a must. Faithfully serving the Lord is a must. Living just the everyday normal Christian life is a must if you wish to be ready when those storms come. Uh, and, and to be prepared. <clears throat> Jesus said of the house that fell, great was its fall. This is especially true of believers who seem to be doing okay, but are really slacking off spiritually. They're not involved in any particularly heinous sin. Uh, tying back to what we learned earlier, they're, they're not committing any of the biggies, but they're not doing some of the small things that they should. Or they may be indulging some liberty or simply have become apathetic. Lots of warnings in the New Testament not to fall asleep on the job. You know, don't go to sleep spiritually, but stay active and be on guard. Uh, and then suddenly the storm hits and they're not really prepared for it. Uh, they, they, you know, if with advanced warnings that we have for different types of storms, I, I understand there's, did the hurricane hit Hawaii yet? There's supposed to be a hurricane coming into Hawaii. Anyway, you know, there's some advanced warning to some of these things. And you see people boarding up their houses and sandbagging and doing those kind, taking those normal precautions. Um, and I think just going through the motions uh, of excitement with the normal daily Christian life is, is making those defenses, you know, for when those storms come. Uh, but instead of doing that, uh, a lot of people let all of that go because they're busy pursuing other events or experiences in their life, you know, and, and I understand that's kind of hard. I mean, you don't want to wake up every morning. And think, I've got to get to church because tonight it could all fall apart, you know, and stuff. I mean, that's not really the motive, but I think in the back of your mind, you've seen enough people whose lives have been, you know, damaged. Uh, when the storm came because they weren't really quite ready for it. And uh, and then they have more damage than they would have had. I mean, the storm is bad enough, you know. Uh, whatever God allows in your life, it's bad enough in one sense. But if you're not ready to meet it with the Lord's strength, with his perspective, with his grace, uh, then it gets worse, you know, and it starts to erode famine. I've seen, and all of us, we've seen... Uh, trials come that have eroded entire families because the individuals weren't ready for them. You know, the trial came, the trial really didn't seem to have anything to do with the family as so much. It was just a, a, a trial. But, you know, hey, we're off doing this. We're not paying attention to our marriage. We're not really going to church. We're not in fellowship. And pretty soon the whole family erodes and washes away. And that's what Jesus means. He says, great was its fall. He's not talking about losing or forfeiting salvation. He's just saying that uh, there's a lot of destruct. These storms can bring greater destruction than they were intended. Rather than strengthen you, uh, they they can tear you apart. Uh, and so again, I want to emphasize that this is not an evangelistic message. It's a call to discipleship. It's not really enough for me to say I'm saved and my foundation is Jesus Christ. My foundation is doing the sayings of Jesus Christ because I am saved. And, and and so just the thought to take with us today is 
you know, the danger of, hey, I'm in the Word, I, I, I not only read it, I agree with it, but am I really doing it? Do I take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to examine my heart and life and to say, hey, you're really not, you know, that encounter you just had with your uh, employee or employer or, you know, a customer, client, that really wasn't very Christ-like. I mean, that wasn't, I don't see how that, you know, brings any, any uh, of the grace of God. I don't, your words weren't really seasoned with grace, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, I want to do the things that Jesus said, not just know that they're possible. And so in the end, I am expected to see myself in the mirror of this sermon. This sermon is our mirror. Uh, to the extent my doings do not quite match up to Jesus' sayings, I am to believe that he has empowered me to change and to be able to do that. Amen.